2: This is the Starship Sofa. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to Oral Delights. Not on a Wednesday. I don't actually know what day it's going to go out. It's probably going to be a Tuesday when this first hits the, the airwaves or the internet waves might even be a Thursday, but it will definitely not be a Wednesday, because I'm away Wednesday, so... Tonight we have our short story by Joe Haldeman, and what a story it is as well. 3,000 words of just pure bliss, to be quite honest. It's called Graves, and it won a Nebula Award in 1993, and it won the World Fantasy Award in the same year, in 1993. And Joe Haldeman has, like, I am so pleased and honoured to get this story, it's just amazing. You know, Joe Haldeman, the Forever War... God's sake, one of the, probably my top favourite novel it won a Hugo Award 1976, Hugo Award for a short story called Tricentennial, 1977 The Hemingway Hoax, novella 1991, got a Hugo for that Non So Blind short story, Hugo for that Forever Peace, 1998 Hugo for that, you know God, he's got Nebula Awards coming out of his ears, Reisling Awards for all his poetry World Fantasy Wars, this guy is, I think, top of the game in science fiction writing. And when you listen to this story, you understand why. It's 3,000 words, just a very short story, but I think why you like it is if you ever wanted to be a writer, you know what I mean? You kind of pick the story to kind of, if you could achieve something as, as great as this, you know, you think it's just written dead, you know not basic, not anything like that, it's just so cleverly written, but it's not complicated but to get that kind of you know, from a novice writer trying to achieve what Joe Haldeman has done with this story is just, it'd be a million miles away, you know what I mean, you just could never hope to achieve like that, you've just got to put in the, the hours and the days and the years to kind of come up with that, but he makes it so readable and so enjoyable that you're thinking this gift of writing is easy, do you know what I mean like I say, this story is one mean, powerful story. So let us know what you think. Do you know what I mean? Narration today is by our good friend James Campanella. And again, this is one cracking narration. I just hope you enjoy this story. Let us know what you think. Pop over the forums and please leave your comments there. So without further ado... The Starship's over and her oral delights presents Graves by Joe Haldeman.
1: I have this persistent sleep disorder that makes life difficult for me. But I still want to keep it. Boy do I want to keep it. It goes back twenty years to Vietnam. To graves. Dead bodies turn from bad to worse real fast in the jungle. You got a few hours before rigor mortis makes them hard to handle. Hard to stuff into a bag. By that time, they start to turn greenish. If they started out white or yellow, where you can see the skin. It's mostly bugs by then. Usually ants. Then they go to black and start to smell. They swell and burst. You'd think the ants and roaches and beetles and millipedes would make short order of them after that, but they don't. Just when they get to looking and smelling worse, the bugs sort of lose interest, get fastidious, send out for pizza, except for the flies laying eggs. Funny thing is, unless some big animal got to it and tore it up, even after a week or so, you've still got something more than a skeleton, even a sort of face. No eyes, though. Every now and then we'd get one like that. Not too often, since soldiers usually don't die alone and sit there for that long. But sometimes. We'd call them dry ones. Still damp underneath, of course, and inside. But kind of like sunburned mummy otherwise. You tell people what you do at Graves Registration. Graves. And it sounds like the worst job the army has to offer. It isn't. You just stand there all day and open body bags, figure out which parts maybe belong to which dog tag, not that it's usually that important. Sew them up more or less with a big needle, count for all the wallets, jewelry, steal the dope out of their pockets, box them up, seal the casket, do the paperwork. When you have enough boxes, you truck them out to the airfield. The first week maybe is pretty bad, but after a hundred or so, after you get used to the smell and the god-awful feeling of them, you get to thinking that opening a body bag is a lot better than ending up inside one. They put graves in a safe place. Since I had a couple of years of college, pre-med, I got some interesting jobs. Captain French, who was the pathologist actually in charge of the outfit, always took me with him out into the field when he had to examine a corpse in situ, which happened only maybe once a month. I got to wear a forty-five in a shoulder holster. Tough guy. Never fired it. Never got shot at. Except one time. That was a hell of a time. It's funny what gets to you. Stays with you. Usually, when we had one in situ, it was a forensic matter, like an officer they suspected had been fragged, or otherwise terminated by his own men. We'd take pictures and interview some people, and then Frenchy would bring the stiff back for autopsy, see whether the bullets were American or Vietnamese. Not that that would be conclusive either way. The Viet Cong stole our weapons, and our guys used the North Vietnamese AK-47s when we could get our hands on them. More reliable than the N-16, and a better cartridge for killing. Both sides proved that over and over. Usually Frenchie would send a report up to division, and that would be it. Once, he had to testify in court-martial. The kid was guilty, but just got life. The officer was a real prick. Anyhow, we got the call to come look at this in-situ corpse, about five in the afternoon. Frenchie tried to put it off until the next day, since if it got dark, we'd have to spend the night out there. The guy he was talking to was a major, though, and obviously proud of it, so it was no use arguing. I threw some C's and beer and a couple of canteens into two rucksacks that already had blankets and air mattresses tied to the bottom. Box of 45 ammo and a couple of hand grenades. Went and got a jeep while Frenchie got his stuff together and made sure Doc Carter was sober enough to count the stiffs as they came in. Doc Carter was the one supposed to be in charge, but he didn't much care for the work. Drove us out to the pad and lo and behold, there was a chopper waiting. "'Blades idling. Should have started to smell a rat then. "'We don't get real high-priority, "'and it's not easy to get a chopper to go anywhere so close to sundown. "'They even helped us stow our gear. Up, up, and away.' "'I never flew enough in helicopters to make it routine. "'Kan Tum looked almost pretty in the low sun and golden red.' I had to sit between two flamethrowers, though, which didn't make me feel too secure. The door gunner was smoking. The flamethrower tanks were stenciled, no smoking. We went fast and low out toward the mountains to the west. I was hoping we'd wind up at one of the big fire bases up there, figuring I'd sleep better with a few hundred men around me. But no such luck. When the chopper started to slow down... The blades were deepened, to a wuk-wuk-wuk. There was no clearing as far as the eye could see. Think jungle canopy everywhere. Then a wisp of purple smoke showed us a helicopter-sized hole in the leaves. The pilot brought us down an inch at a time, nicking twigs. I was very much aware of the flamethrowers. If he clipped a large branch, we'd be so much pot roast.' When we touched down, four guys in a big hurry unloaded our gear, and the flamethrowers, and a couple of cases of ammo. They put two wounded guys and one client on board and shooed the helicopter away. Yeah, it would sort of broadcast your position. One of them told us to wait. He'd go get the major. I don't like this at all, Frenchy said. Me neither, I said. Let's go home. Any outfit that's got a major and two flamethrowers is planning to fight a real war. He pulled his forty-five out and looked at it as if he'd never seen one before. Which end of this do you think the bullet comes out of? Shit, I advised, and rummaged through the rucksack for a beer. I gave Frenchie one, and he put it in his side pocket. A machine gun opened up to our right, and Frenchie and I grabbed the dirt. Three grenade blasts. "'Somebody yelled for them to cut that out. "'Guy yelled back he thought he'd saw something. "'Machine guns started up again. "'We tried to get a little lower. "'Up walks this old guy, 30s, looking annoyed. "'The Major. "'You men get up. What's wrong with you? "'He was playing games.' Frenchy got up, dusted himself off. "'We had the only clean fatigues in 20 miles.' Captain French, Graves Registration, he says. Oh, he said, not visibly impressed. Secure your gear and follow me. He drifted off like a mighty ship of the jungle. Frenchy rolled his eyes, and we hoisted our rucksacks and followed him. I wasn't sure whether secure your gear meant bring your stuff or leave it behind, but Budweiser could get to be a real collector's item in the boonies. There were a lot of collectors out here. We walked too far. I meant a couple of hundred yards. That meant they were really spread out thin. I didn't look forward to spending the night. The damn machine gun started up again. The major looked annoyed and shouted, Sergeant, will you please control your men? The sergeant told the machine gunner to shut the fuck up. The machine gunner told the sergeant there was a fucking gook out there. And somebody popped a big one like a claymore, and then everybody was shooting every which way. Frenchie and I got real horizontal. I heard a bullet whip by over my head. The sergeant was leaning against a tree, looking bored, shouting, "Cease firing! Cease firing!" The shooting dwindled down like popcorn getting done. The major looked over us and said, "Come on, while there's still light." he led us into a small clearing. Elephant grass, pretty well trampled down. I guess everybody had had his turn to look at the corpse. wasn't a real gruesome body, as bodies go, but it was odd-looking, even for a dry one. Moldy, like someone had dusted flour over it. Naked, and probably male, though incomplete. All the soft parts were gone,
0: Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: ...lies rather than an ethnic Vietnamese. Emaciated, dry skin, taut over ribs. Probably old, though it doesn't take long for these people to get old. Lying on his back, mouth wide open, a familiar posture... Empty eye sockets staring skyward. Arms flung out in supplication, loosely, long past rigor mortis. Teeth chipped and filed to points. Probably some Montagnard tribal custom. I'd never seen it before, but we didn't do many natives. Frenchy knelt down and reached for it, then stopped. Checked for booby traps? he asked. No, the major said. Figure that's your job. Frenchie looked at me with an expression that said it was my job. Both officers stood back a respectful distance, while I felt under the corpse. Sometimes they pull the pin on a hand grenade and slip it under the body, so that the body's weight keeps the arm lever in place. You turn it over, and tomato surprise. I always worry less about a hand grenade than about various weird serpents and bugs that might enjoy living underneath a decomposing corpse. Vietnam has its share of snakes and scorpions and megapedes. I was lucky this time. Nothing but maggots. I flicked them off my hand and watched the Major turn a little green. People are funny. What does he think is going to happen to him when he dies? Everything has to eat. And he was sure as hell going to die if he didn't start keeping his head down. I remember that thought, but didn't think of it as a prophecy. They came over. What do you make of it, doctor? I don't think we can cure him. Frenchie was getting annoyed at this cherry bomb. What else do you want to know? Isn't it a little odd to find something like this in the middle of nowhere? Nah, country's full of corpses. He knelt down and studied the face. "'Wiggling the head by its chin. "'We keep it up, you'll be able to walk from the Mekong to the DMZ "'without stepping on anything but corpses.' "'But he's been castrated.' "'Birds,' he towed the body over, "'busy white crawlers running from the light. "'Just some old geezer who walked out into the woods naked and fell over dead. "'Could happen back in the world. "'Old people do funny things.' "'I thought maybe he'd been tortured by the VC or something.' God knows, it could happen. The body eased back into its original position with a creepy, creaking sound like leather. Its mouth had closed halfway. If you want to put evidence of VC torture on your report, I'll initial it. What do you mean by that, Captain? Exactly what I said. He kept staring at the major while he flipped a cigarette into his mouth and fired it up. Non-filter camels. "'You think a guy who worked with corpses all day long "'would be less anxious to turn into one? "'I'm just trying to get along.' "'You believe I want to falsify?' "'Now falsify is a strange word for a last word. "'The enemy had set up a machine gun on the other side of the clearing, "'and we were the closest targets. "'A round struck the major in the small of the back, "'we found on later examination.' At the time, it was just an explosion of blood and guts, and he went down with legs flopping every which way, barfing, then loud death-rattle. Frenchie was on the ground in a ball, holding his left hand, going, shit, shit, shit. He'd lost the last joint of his little finger. Painful, but not serious enough, as it turned out, to get him back to the world. I myself was horizontal and aspiring to be subterranean. I managed to get my pistol out and cocked, but realized I didn't want to do anything that might draw attention to us. The machine gun was spraying back and forth over us at about knee height. Maybe they couldn't see us. Maybe they thought we were dead. I was scared shitless. Frenchy, I stage whispered. We've got to get out of here. He was trying to wrap his finger up in a standard first aid pack gauze bandage. Much too large. Get back to the trees! After you, asshole. We wouldn't get halfway. He worked his pistol out of his holster but couldn't cock it. His left hand clamping the bandage and slippery with blood. I armed it for him and handed it back. These are going to do a hell of a lot of good. How are you with grenades? Shit! Shit! How do you think I wound up in graves? In basic training, they put me on KP whenever they went out for live grenade practice. In school, I was always the last person when they chose up sides for baseball, for the same reason, though to my knowledge, a baseball wouldn't kill you if you couldn't throw it far enough. I couldn't get one halfway there. The tree line was about 60 yards away. Neither could I with this hand. He was a lefty. Behind us came the poink sound of a 60-millimeter mortar, and in a couple of seconds there was a gray smoke explosion between us and the tree line. The machine gun stopped, and somebody behind us yelled, Add 20! At the tree line we could hear some shouting in Vietnamese and clanking of metal. They're going to bug out, Frenchie said. Let's DD! We got up and ran, and somebody did fire a couple of bursts at us. "'probably an AK-47. "'But he missed, and there was a series of points "'and a series of explosions pretty close to where the gun had been. "'We rushed back to the LZ and found the command group, "'about the time the firing started up again. "'There was a first lieutenant in charge, "'and when things slowed down enough for us to tell him "'what had happened to the Major, "'he expressed neither surprise nor grief. "'The man had been an observer from the battalion.' and had assumed command when the captain was killed that morning. He'd take our word for it that the guy was dead. That was one thing we were trained observers in, and not send a squad out for him until the fighting had died down and it was light again. We inherited the Major's hole, which was nice and deep, and in his rucksack we found a dozen cans of real food and a flask of scotch. So as the battle raged through the night... We munched pate on Ritz crackers, pickled herring and sour cream sauce, little Polish sausages on potty rye with real French mustard. We drank all the scotch and saved the beer for breakfast. For hours, Lieutenant called in for artillery and air support, but to no avail. Later, we found out the enemy had launched coordinated attacks on all the local airfields and special forces camps, and every camp that held POWs. We were much lower priority. Then, about three in the morning, Snoopy came over. Snoopy was a big C-130 cargo plane that carried nothing but ammunition and Gatling guns. They said it could fly over a football field and put a round into every square inch. Anyhow, it saturated the perimeter with fire, and the enemy stopped shouting. Frenchie and I went to sleep. At first light, we went out to help round up the KIAs. There were only four dead, counting the Major, but the Major was an astounding sight, at least in context. He looked like a cadaver left over from a teaching autopsy. His shirt had been opened, and his pants had been pulled down to his thighs. The entire thoracic and abdominal cavities from the esophagus to testicles, rib caged like bud-streaked fingers sticking rigid out off sagging skin, and there wasn't a sign of any guts anywhere. Just a lot of dried blood. Nobody had heard anything. There was the machine-gun position not twenty yards away, and they'd been straining their ears all night. All they heard was flies. Maybe an animal feeding very quietly. The body hadn't been opened with a scalpel or a knife. The skin had been torn by teeth or claws, but seemingly systematically, throat to balls. And the dry one was gone. Him with the pointed teeth. There is one rational explanation. Modern warfare is partly mindfuck, and we aren't the only ones that do it. Drop an unlucky card invoking magic and superstition. The Vietnamese knew how squeamish Americans were and would mutilate bodies in clever ways. They could also move very quietly. The dry one? They might have spared him away just to fuck with us, show what they could do under our noses. And as for the dry one's odd mummified appearance, the mold, there might be an explanation. I found out that... "'Montagnards in that area didn't bury their dead. "'They put them in a coffin made from a hollowed-out log "'and leave them above ground. "'So maybe he was just a victim of a grave robber. "'I thought the nearest village was miles away, like twenty miles, "'but I could have been wrong. "'Or the body could have been carried that distance for some obscure purpose.' Maybe the VCs set it out on the trail to make the Americans stop in a good place to be ambushed. That's probably it. But for twenty years now, several nights a week, I wake up sweating with a terrible image in my mind. I've gone out with a flashlight, and there it is, the dry one, scooping steaming entrails from the Major's body, tearing them with its sharp teeth staring into my light with black empty sockets, unconcerned. I reach for my pistol, and it's never there. The creature stands up, shiny with blood, and takes a step toward me. For a year or so, that was it. I would wake up. Then it was two steps, and then three. After twenty years, it's covered half the distance, and it's dripping hands are raising from its sides. The doctor gives me tranquilizers. I don't take them. They might help me stay asleep. Now,
2: come on, please. What do you think of that story? Uh, uh, Hairs on the back of your neck. No problem whatsoever. What a story. What a powerful story. And so cleverly written to make it sound so simple. But... You know I'm sitting here now, and like I say, I've listened to that now so many times, and the hair's on the back of my neck. Whoa! Don't forget, that is copyright of Joe Haldeman. Don't go messing around with it, pinching anything like that. So, you know, it's uh, all copyright belongs to the author. Let us know what you thought of that story. You know, pop over the forum, say hello, give us your... Did you like it? You might not have liked it. Do you know what I mean? It might not be up your cup of tea, but then again, it might be... If you want to, please think about dropping a donation to Starship Sofa. This runs, this whole two shows runs on your donation, so thank you very much for that. It's always welcome. Drop me an email, starshipsofa at gmail.com. Say hello, you know what I mean? I'd love to have an email from you. Pop over the website, starshipsofa.com. I would just like to say good night from me.
1: heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment?
0: Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of Sorshot Sofa. A procedure initiated. Shuttle set for launch. people will be open in three, two, one.